Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Well, it's good to have all of our listeners with us today. And this past Sunday, Jason gave us a great sermon entitled The Cost. And everything in life costs. You go out to eat, there's a price to pay. You get your utility bills, you buy a house, you buy a car. There's always a cost. But we looked at this spiritually. And it really comes from a passage in Chronicles where David was going to make a sacrifice to God, but somebody offered to give him the sacrifice. It's going to be a freebie. Here, it won't cost you anything. And David refused. And he he understood that unless it costs the, the giver, it really isn't much of a gift. And from that, we just had a great fundamental lesson about the idea of cost. So, Jason, why don't you walk us through that once again, and then we're going to talk about some questions here. We're going to pull off of this. Sure. It comes from First Chronicles 21, and in the big picture of the book, my best guess is that this story is here not simply to tell us about a, a mistake that David makes in forcing a census of the people, and uh, the chronicler tells us that it displeased the Lord, but even in the broader context, it sure does seem to be letting us know how the temple came to be built where it was built. It was originally owned by a man named Ornan, this plot of land. Ornan had a threshing floor there, and David comes to be compelled to offer a sacrifice there after a a terrible plague on Israel where 70,000 thousand men of Israel fell. And as you mentioned, Ornan says, listen, I'll give you this threshing floor. I'll give you the land where it's built. I'll give you the wood and even the animals, everything you need for your sacrifice. And I've always, since I think the first time I read it, just been fascinated by David's attitude. In First Chronicles 21, verse 24, he says, no, but I will buy them for the full price. I mean, how different is this than some of the ways that the other kings in Israel at times talked, where I'm the king, I'm just going to take whatever it is I want. Even if I've got to murder you or my wife has to murder you, I'm just going to take what I want. No, David says, I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And so from there, we just looked into the the language that he uses there. First of all, how he got himself in this mess. Sin never costs nothing. That's a double negative, but uh, it, it gets the point across. Sin always comes with a cost. And of course, the good news of the Bible is that in relation to sin, our greatest problem, 2,000 years ago, the Son of God paid the price for our sins. But now he's calling us to 
follow him, which means, as we emphasized in the sermon, there's no such thing as cost-me-nothing discipleship. Discipleship comes with a cost. In fact, Jesus tells us we have to count the cost. And so uh, we uh, did a little bit more digging in First Chronicles 21 and, and ended the sermon just by trying to figure out how we can apply that good attitude of David to the heart of discipleship. And we broke it down into five simple points. I, all that I am, all that I have, all that I can be, am for the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself is the path Jesus is calling all of his disciples to travel. Along the way, I'm not, you're not exempt from the call to offer sacrifices. Ours are different from what David offered, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But I've got to count the cost. One of the most practical ways of doing that, I've got to pay attention to what the Lord wants and what he's calling me to do. And at times it's going to be tough, but our final point was every single thing it costs me to follow Jesus will ultimately be worth it. It will be overshadowed by what Paul calls the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and attaining the resurrection from the dead. So there's kind of two running themes through through this lesson that stood out with me. One is cost, uh, David paid, and then there's sacrifice. Right. And those are not necessarily the same thing, but they're very parallel to each other. And so I, th- I thought what we would do in this podcast would be just kind of look at both of those avenues, both those concepts. And so let's begin, first of all, by talking about the cost. Uh, as I said at the very beginning, everything costs today, and we right. we are in a time now where people are recognizing things are costing more than what <laughs> they used to. My wife will come home and she'll say, "Do you know how much a box of cereal costs?" <laughs> well, I didn't know how much it cost to begin with, so I have no idea, you know. <laughs> but so, I'm sure she's appalled. <laughs> she's appalled. She's appalled. And so, so when we talk about the cost of sin, the cost of discipleship, yeah, one of the first things that we need to kind of peel the layers back on is. Who determines that cost? Because in our culture today, if you want to buy a house, you buy a car, here's a cost, but you negotiate. Yeah. And you try, you try to get down as low as you can. The seller's trying to get as high as he can. And so there's some, some back and forth on that. And so when we talk about the cost of sin, the cost of a sacrifice, who sets that price? Yeah. Well, page three of the Bible would begin to teach us that God establishes consequences for sin, right? It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. He creates everything. It is good. He provides for them. He he shows them everything that he wants for them, but they are tempted to disregard what he has said and strike out on their own, right? And when they do, there are many ripple effects of that, but one of them, uh, you might remember from Galatians, from Genesis chapter 3, God acknowledges that they are aware now of good and evil unless they should reach out and, and take hold of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever in that state. He banishes them from the garden. There is a 
cost attached to their sin. There is the cost of, uh, to Eve, pain in childbirth, uh, being subject to her husband. With Adam, there is the cost of uh, now very difficult labor with the ground and ultimately returning to the earth as he was, right? Physical death is a cost of sin, but most significantly of all, as God develops his his revelation to mankind, we see that this spiritual separation. A week and a half ago on Sunday morning, we talked about this breach that is formed by our sin. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 is a great passage that references the fact it's not that God can't reach us or he can't hear us. It's that our sins create a separation between us and God. And we are the ones who choose it, but a holy God allows us to suffer those consequences because he's not going to change his perfect nature to accommodate our sin. So so the price is set by God. Yes. And and I think a, a vivid illustration of this comes from Matthew 20, excuse me, Matthew 18 verse 23 when Jesus in this parable is showing us the high cost of sin. Here here the text begins in Matthew 18 verse 23, for this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, it's easy for us to just kind of gloss over that. Now, 10,000 is a lot. I mean, if you got 10,000 pennies in a jar, man, you got a big jar. You know, if you got 10,000 baseball cards, that's a lot of baseball cards. 10,000 of anything is a lot. It's easy for us to look at that and think, okay, that's $10,000. Uh, that, that, that's something, but it's not, not devastating. The New American Standard, which I use over here in the footnote, says a talent is worth more than 15 years of wages. Just one. One talent. <laughs> this man owed 10,000 talents. So if I did my math right, he owed 150,000 years of work. Unbelievable debt. Yeah. And so, so what Jesus is painting here is that sin is a cost that we cannot pay. And it's more than, you know, a boo-boo, it's more than a mistake, more than I was off my A game today. I have sinned against the God of heaven, and I cannot go to heaven until this is paid. And when we look at the cost, I cannot pay it. I cannot live long enough to live 150,000 years. If I could live that long, the master is not going to live that long to pay it back. And so, <laughs> and so, so Jesus is painting us a picture of impossibility. This man was in such a deep hole, he was never, ever going to get out. That's the image here. And so, uh, verse 25 of this context, Matthew 18, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had, and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. That's almost a humorous statement there. Just give me a little bit of time. I know it's going to take 150,000 years, but I can do this. No, you can't do this. Verse 27 is, is one of the biblical descriptions of what forgiveness is. The Lord of the slave felt compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, who, who lost in that deal? The master lost. The master was owed a ton of money, and he didn't get that money. But his heart, his love, his compassion 
forgave him that debt. So when we think about the cost of sin, that's set by God. It's yeah. not set by the government. It's not set by the church. It's not, you know, you do something against me and I just say, well, it's no big deal. Um, God determines, and it is a big deal. That's that's number one, what we need to see in this. And so when we look at our lives, we realize we're in trouble without Jesus. Without Jesus, we're not going to make it. And that's that's the reality of Matthew chapter 18. Now, the other aspect of this is the cost of salvation. And what would that be? Yeah. Well, clearly, just bouncing off of that parable, I can't cover that cost on my own. There isn't any number of prayers that I could say, any amount of money that I could give, any number of church services I could attend, any number of good deeds that I could do. The New Testament consistently uses the word gift for salvation, and a gift implies a giver, right? Uh, We've got all sorts of parables like what you read from Matthew 18 or statements from people like Paul or Peter that emphasize it is by God's grace that this is extended and the way this is extended is through the sacrifice of God's own son, right? I sin is so serious that someone is going to bear the penalty for it. We talked about that a few Sunday nights ago when we explored what we can know from the Bible about hell. And one of the clear messages of the Bible is sin is so serious that someone is going to pay the deserved penalty. It's either going to be me for eternity, or it is going to be God's Son on the cross. And the offer of salvation is extended through Jesus, in whom is salvation. There's no other name under heaven given among men, the apostles preach, by which we can be saved. But if we will respond to that news and begin to follow him, we can walk in confidence that the price has been paid with his own blood. Yeah, Paul ended the book of First Corinthians chapter six, chapter six by in verse twenty by saying, You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Yeah. Uh well what one of the biblical words we use for that is redemption. Yeah. The idea of redemption is you have purchased, you have bought somebody. The idea comes back from the old slave block days when when the Romans would have slaves or even in our country in the early days had slavery. And and what they would do is somebody would be up for sale, somebody would buy them. Uh, that's what the book of Hosea is about. He bought his own wife back who was on the slave block. And so Christ has purchased us. What was that price? It was his life. It was his blood. And so that helps us to understand the cost, the cost involved from God's standpoint about sin and about salvation. Yeah. Now, let's move to this other concept, and that's the concept of sacrifice. And, and again, that kind of kind of parallels this idea of a cost. David wanted to make a sacrifice, but if it didn't cost him, he wasn't going to give anything. And so that kind of tells us a little bit about sacrifice. 
Sacrifice is really made up of three components. Number one, it's a gift. You're giving somebody something. You're, you're sacrificing. We, we, we may use it in time. You know, I got a friend who's moving on a Saturday, so I'll give up a Saturday morning sleeping in or doing what I want to do to go help my friend move. What have I done? I have sacrificed. It is a gift, something I give to somebody. Sacrifice costs. That's what David understood. If it didn't cost, it's not a sacrifice. I gave nothing. And then it's used to please someone else. Sacrifice isn't about pleasing myself. It's about pleasing someone else. And so so that, that's kind of the components here. And again, in this wonderful passage about David, he understood that. He understood that if this is not going to cost me, then this is not really a sacrifice. It's not really my gift. It's really your gift because you're giving it to me. And he understood that concept with that. So when we think about counting the cost, Luke chapter 14, Jesus uses that expression. What's involved with that? Yeah, well, he uses some of the most, I think, attention-grabbing language in all of the uh, the Gospels. I had uh, a, a handful of people after the sermon that came up and just wanted to talk about these last few verses of Luke 14 because there are great crowds that are following him, and Jesus turns very deliberately to them and stops them in their tracks with, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that, that gets our attention real quick because uh, here, here are people following him and Jesus says, you can't be my follower, my learner. You can't be on my side unless, and it's the strong language that gets our attention, but I really do believe what he's emphasizing is the cost of putting any human relationship ahead of him. Uh, My marriage can't come ahead of him, my relationship with my children, my relationship with any other human being. In fact, uh, my own holding of my own life can't come before him. And then he says in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, which is why I think Paul in Romans 12 describes us as living sacrifices, right? It's not that Jesus is looking for us to just physically lay down our lives as quickly as possible. It's we're putting self to death. We are putting all relationships, all that we are, all that we have on the altar and saying, Jesus, I want you more than I want anything. That is going to be costly. You know, so interesting, this Luke passage, actually, there's one other time, verse 33, Jesus again says that, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Mm-hmm. You know, that we would get the idea that Jesus is going to do everything he can to build a crowd, and I want as many followers as I can, so I'm going to just, you know, pass out free tickets, I'm going <laughs> to give you food, I, I want a gathering, but what he does here, he turns it upside down. And three times, you can't be my disciple unless. And it's that hard call that we see of discipleship. So so using that Romans 12 passage that the, the apostle brings to us, 
he says in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now this really is, is almost the opposite of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. How would we see that? Yeah, well, we are the sacrifices, right? David in First Chronicles 21 is going to, to offer animals. Eventually, his son on the site of that threshing floor is going to build the temple where how many untold number of animals are going to be sacrificed, but this is profoundly personal because the the Holy Spirit is talking about my body. I have been given my body by God as my creator. You referenced earlier 1 Corinthians 6. I was bought with a price. And so now as his follower, his disciple, I'm to glorify him with my body. Whether I eat or I drink or whatever I do, I belong to the Lord. We zeroed in on uh, that 1 Corinthians 12 statement where uh, David says this is for the Lord. What a great thing to remember here in the middle of this week. I am to be for the Lord. My time is for the Lord. My talents are for the Lord. These opportunities I've been given are to be used ultimately, first and foremost, for the Lord. That's what it's going to look like to live as a living sacrifice. Yeah, and in contrast to the Old Testament, they would take an animal and then they would kill it. Yeah, And then that animal's no more. Uh, they'd burn it up, and they'd have to get another animal to make another sacrifice. We are a continual sacrifice, and we are a living sacrifice as contrast to that which is dead. And, and, and again, that kind of helps us to, to see that concept that he's bearing out with that. So when we think about some practical applications, and you know, one of our listeners is hearing this and thinking, okay, here on this Wednesday, what does it mean to present my bodies a living sacrifice to God? I mean, I run down here to tattoo place and get a little cross put <laughs> on my shoulder or what? What does that mean? I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give my body to God as a living sacrifice. Yeah. So it begins with answering the call of Jesus follow me, right? And then allowing him to teach me. And so implied in that is, okay, God knows better than I know. Sometimes I'm going to have opinions. Sometimes he's going to tell me to do things in his word that great against my opinions. If it were up to me, maybe I would do this completely different. I I would reach a different conclusion or have a different thought process. But this begins with how I think. Okay, God knows better than I know. God is more perfect. God is more infinite. God knows what is best. And so when it comes to my will versus his will, I'm going to follow Jesus, not my will, but his be done. I'm going to live with an awareness that the day he's provided is exactly that. I didn't provide this day. He's granted me this time. I need to make him proud by the way that I live, by doing what he tells me to do, sharing the news he's provided that has changed my life, ultimately living for him with his return as the greatest hope of my life. It's all about 
him. So in the Old Testament, when they when they would have a sacrifice, they would go to the temple, and normally it was on is on special days they were to make this sacrifice, and they'd present it to a priest, and they'd kill that lamb, and they'd go with those things. Now, now we're looking at that parallel here in in Romans twelve as our cells are being a living sacrifice. Are we talking about just what we do in a church building? No, 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 no. That we we come and we are encouraged by each other. We uh, give what the writer of Hebrews describes as the sacrifice of praise, and then we go out and we live day by day in the community as little Christs, as you like to say, Christians, right? Disciples of our Lord and Master. So, so the application is. I'm out to eat, what I'm eating, what I'm drinking, okay, right there implies the idea, am I going to do alcohol, am I not going to do alcohol? I'm a living sacrifice to God. I'm at the workplace, and am I going to lie, cheat, and steal? Am I going to do things that are unethical? I'm a living sacrifice to God. I'm a student in a classroom, and I don't know the answer to this quiz. Am I going to look on someone else's paper? Am I going to come up with some dumb excuse that's not truthful? I'm a living sacrifice to God. See, see, that's what this means. It yeah. means everyday living for Jesus. And so every day, this is the practical things, the choices I make, what I eat, what I drink, what I wear, what I talk about, the way I talk about things, the shows I watch on TV, what I do on my phone, all those things involves a living sacrifice. And so there's not a moment I flip this off. There's not a moment I say, okay, I've been in the church building, I've done my church thing, now I leave, now it's my time. No, no, that doesn't happen. And so it's it's every day, everywhere, Jesus first. And that's how we become a living sacrifice. That's it, that's it. And it comes at a cost, right? But you read Philippians chapter 3, and the Apostle Paul says, whatever we have to lay down, I love his use of the phrase, surpassing worth. No one will sacrifice anything to follow Jesus and end up being disappointed in eternity or feeling like they got the raw end of the bargain. No, what is to be gained is of such infinitely surpassing worth that whatever we had to sacrifice will seem so very small in comparison. Absolutely. So this is Wednesday, and Jason, what are you doing this evening? Yeah, our Building Blocks track of studies, we're diving into a brand new series for Wednesdays in the month of May. We're just going to explore in four simple sessions, what is baptism? And there are lots of ways that we could look at that. Tonight, we're going to talk about baptism as a funeral kind of goes hand in hand with this idea of a cost. What about you in the auditorium? We're continuing our series on the marks of maturity, and we're going to be talking about the idea of the mature person and how he deals with discipline and correction and the spirit he needs to have. We have been very much looking forward to this coming weekend, May 7th through the 10th. We have a special spring series lined up. We're excited to have Ralph Walker from Tampa, Florida, join us for a special series entitled The Meaning of Fellowship. Yeah, he's going to begin Sunday morning worship. This will be May 7th. He's going to define what fellowship is. That's a, that's a 
broad term. A lot of people have different ideas when they hear that word, but he's going to define what fellowship means. Then at our Bible class time at 1045, he's going to talk about fellowship with God and what all that involves. And then in the evening on Sunday, we're going to have sharing the body. And then we're going to be meeting Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 7 o'clock during the special week. And on Monday, he's going to talk about sharing in the gospel. On Tuesday, sharing spiritual gifts. And on Wednesday, sharing in sufferings. And all of this is going to show and remind us that we're connected and we're partners as we work together in the things of God. Yeah, all of those details are available on our social media feeds, available at charlestownroad.org. We would love to see you for these four days. There's going to be a lot to learn, a lot of encouragement that comes as a result. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to this week at Charlestown Road. It would be great to see you tonight at seven o'clock. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week. We would love to have you come and grow with us. 